Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Me, that's a spicy meatball. You okay, Hosey? I'm your father. Don't give in to the dark side of the force, you knob. He saw Jedi 17 times, eh? You know, I just want to point out that your train was going by at the same time I was trying to play the sound effects. I know. What's up with that? What's up? Never happened before. Hey, Church Planner. I'm Pete Mitchell. And I'm Peyton Jones. And he saw Jedi 17 times. Did you play it? I did play it. You got to play it again. You man. want me to play it again? All right, here we play it again, again, Sam. You okay, Hosey? I'm your father, Luke. Give in to the dark side of the force, you knob. He saw Jedi 17 times, eh? Give in to the dark side, you knob. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm your father, eh? Take off you, Hoser. Dude, I'm walking by my son's room this morning. And uh, he's in he's in his room playing, and this kid does not have a shortage of toys. His grandmother like buys him a toy every time she sees him, and she's always no, seeing him. GG, yeah. And so I walk by his room, and he's going da 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 da. da. <laughs> oh man, uh, for he Jimbo, is, that's Star Wars. He truly is your son. I mean, you're already you're like the Emperor. You've already turned him to the dark side. I dig it. Oh yeah, he takes his Darth Vader with him everywhere. Yeah, he other, got me. A, he got me a T-shirt that's got a picture of Darth Vader on it. And it says "Number One Dad." Yeah, other kids carry Cabbage Patch dolls, Teddy Ruxpin. Of course, I'm talking about children of the '80s, but uh, but your son, you know, Darth Vader goes everywhere. Of course, that's hot. Man. And I must say, I do like the new Star Wars Rebels cartoon. Uh, I kind of like it. I've not seen it. For once now, I've I've not seen a cartoon you have. You know, but I uh, didn't watch the Clone Wars because to me it was too stupid. It was kind of boring. 
yeah. I admit there was it was kind of like episode one Phantom Menace, which uh, you don't know oh, what I'm talking about. Those I don't, don't even exist. What, what is that? There was a lot. I don't know why Lucas is like so into this diplomatic uh, diplomacy. You must watch like tons of Fox News or like C-SPAN or something and be really into what goes on in Congress or something. Because he's really into that in his cartoons and his movies. We had a Senate hearing with the majority, the chancellor, blah, blah, blah. It's boring. Yeah, I don't know. I think he... I just uh, want to see lightsabers. Pretty much. Yeah. And and TIE Fighters and X-Wings. Yeah, Luke loves the TIE Fighters. I have been watching that Star Wars trailer at least once a week. Are you serious? Oh, dude, I love it. I just showed it to Liberty, and she's like, Dad, is that Star Wars? And I'm like, yeah. And so she sees the, uh, this is this week I showed it to her, and uh, she sees the little droid, and I loved her response. She's six years old, and she just goes, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I got her. I got her. She's going to be a Jedi. <laughs> you know, I'm torn because it's coming out in December, right? Like December 15th or something like that. Yeah. And see, I don't know if Luke will be old enough to go watch it. Like, I don't know that he'll get that it's a, um, that it's a film yet, you know, cause it's not cartoon. Yeah. And you know, I'm struggling with, you know, at what age can I get away with showing her star Wars? I think episode four is tame enough at six, right? Probably. I mean, Luke's seen the movies, but again, we watch those at my house and he can run around. So yeah, not a big deal. We've only taken him to see one movie so far. We've taken him to see uh planes, fire and rescue. Yeah. And that's yeah. the only one we've taken him to the theater yet. Yeah, I took I took Liberty to uh we took her to Frozen. That was a hit. We took her to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Of course, that was Daddy Daughter Night. And uh took her to uh Andrea took her to Annie and some other thing, some other girl thing. How'd she deal with Annie? Did she like it? Because that's a live action. That's not cartoon. Oh, she well, she loves the original Annie. And I think she loves I don't know which one she likes more, but she likes the red headed Annie. And then, of course, Annie came out and it looked like her, you know, the new one. So Andrew's like, I'm totally taking her to this. Yeah, but see, Annie is supposed to be a redhead. So I don't know about this whole politically correct thing. Or, you know, it was like she, the white Annie had a fro and the new Annie had big hair. I'm just saying, as a redhead, Annie's supposed to be a redhead. (laughs) Let's leave it at that. Now, I would love for one of our listeners to Photoshop a picture of you with a red fro. <laughs> you know who's going to do like, it. <laughs> dude, you would still look like uh, the guy, um, oh, why can I, Bob, uh, the painter Bob, right? Happy tree. Oh, my gosh, Bob Ross. Oh, you would look like Bob Ross. That'd be so awesome. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, We, we do have a meme somewhere that's uh, Bob Ross going, happy plants, happy plants. And he's, he's painting oh, we our We did, our that's right. Huh? We stuck that up on the uh, Facebook page. Yeah, it's ancient history, that. So, hey, real quick, happy uh, 76th birthday, Batman, yesterday, belated. Um, you know, by the time this goes out, it, it will have been a week. But uh, just so you guys know, Batman just turned 76. And we sat around. I and sat doesn't around look my, a day over 75. He does not. See, he's still alive. If Batman were a real person, uh, he would still be alive for me to wish him happy birthday. Gets rougher, you know, when he starts hitting his 90s. But um, yeah, so we sat around. My barnacles were helping me paint a ceiling. 
you know, live in large. And uh, they, they were helping me paint a wood ceiling yesterday. And we sat around uh, last night, uh, you know, because I treated them to, to, to dinner, pizza at the Jones house, again, live in large. And uh, we uh, went around the table, wished Batman a happy birthday. And we shared our favorite Batman memory. I got to ask you, Pete, have you ever seen the uh, the Batman movie? You know, the na 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 na. You ever seen that? You mean the original yeah. Adam West movie? Yeah. Probably, but I couldn't tell you anything about it at this point. So I watched it last night. How was it? And uh, it it is unbelievably stupid. Is it the but, one where they turn everyone into dust or something like that? Yes. Okay. But but it was so unbelievably stupid. It's hilarious. They asked Adam West what you know years ago. They go, hey, what did you? What what were your thoughts? Like, what did you think the whole time you were you were doing Batman? And he thought of it as a comedy. And uh, so he said it was the funniest thing on TV in the 60s. And it was, man. I'm watching this movie last night. Batman is on a ladder uh, suspended from the Batcopter over the ocean. And it Robin accidentally dips him down into the water. And a shark jumps onto his leg, like within a second. And then Batman asks Robin to hand him down the shark repellent which Robin does acrobatics down the ladder and turns upside down to hand it to him, which was funny. He sprays the shark that's attached to his leg. I mean, he's hitting it. He's kicking it with his other leg. Shark won't let go, right? As, as sharks do once you get them out of water. Um, and then he sprays the shark with shark repellent. And as soon as the shark hits the water, he explodes. Nice. I'm I'm telling you, this is classic cinema. You have to see it to believe it. I kind of like the shark exploding. That's a nice it, touch. It was, yeah, it was kind of like, eh? <laughs> what did I just see? <laughs> it's like the first five minutes of the film. But did you realize yeah. that um, Back to the Future Two takes place <laughs> in the year 2015? You know, I keep seeing memes of that on Facebook at this day. You know. Um, this was the day that Marty McFly went to. And that's not true because I keep seeing that for almost every date. You think so? Well, it could have been 2015. I don't know because I'm taking my information off of Facebook. I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, where that's I get, where my I get most of my church planning information, which funny enough, uh, incidentally, uh, when we get today's topic, I'm responding to something that someone showed me on Facebook about church planning. And that is, but, but, but we'll save that. But Pete, what's your favorite Batman memory? Oh, I you know that's a tough call. A favorite Batman memory? I know. I, know. I you know I don't even know that I could say it because, see, for me, Batman was totally different because obviously the old Adam West show was before my time. Though obviously we could watch the reruns, and we did watch the reruns. It was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, back wow. when we were growing up, zap, dang, you got to love what? that. All the, the sound effects and the, yeah. you know, when they'd hit, they'd put zap, pow, on the screen. I had such a crush. But Michael Keaton was my Batman. That's all I'm saying. Michael Keaton Who? was my Batman growing up. Yeah. So growing up, I had a crush on ba- uh, Catwoman, um, Daisy Dukes. Uh, that was uh, Daisy Duke. Um, Daisy Dukes um, with the clothes. I'm Marianne. Marianne, not Ginger, but Marianne on Gilligan's Island. I Dream of Jeannie. 
And I, I had cry, like the sixties TV, like all those characters, the, the girl from Beverly Hillbillies, I had crushes on all the grandma. <laughs> Granny. And <laughs> 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 was it uh aunt, aunt B or aunt May on uh, the, the Andy Griffith show. But uh, anyway, so, so Batman, I was always a big fan of the facts of life. Well, Batman <laughs> and Star Trek, you like Tootie? <laughs> These childhood crushes. My wife had a crush on MacGyver. Oh, and uh, Tom Selleck, Magnum. Well, I mean, Tom Selleck, that's not even fair. I mean, it's not fair. that's the it's guy fair. that like every guy has wanted to have a scar on his chin like Harrison Ford and to be able yep. to grow a mustache like Tom Selleck. I mean, absolutely. Have you seen that um, trailer that has where they put Tom Selleck's mustache on like every movie character? No. Uh-uh. Oh my gosh, dude. They've got it on the Terminator. They've got it on Star Wars. Everywhere you turn, someone's photoshopped his mustache on all these different scenes. It's killer. And it plays the whole dun, 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 dun. It's great, man. I'm going to send it to you. So, uh, Anyways, uh, where, where were we? So Star Trek and Batman in the 60s, man, that was like amazing television. It, it was incredible that we grew up and that stuff was just there. And it was campy and hokey and everything was made out of cardboard. It was pretty cool, man. So you're going you're gonna to go for a, a, a Michael Keaton Batman, huh? Well, I'm just saying that was like Batman when I was growing up. I mean, that was the big deal is they're coming out with a new Batman movie and it was Michael Keaton. And, uh, you know, but that whole franchise that they did kind of went off the rails, you know, um, oh, yeah. it was Michael Keaton for the first two, I think. Yeah. Cause you had Tim Burton and Tim did well with those first two. Um, the second I, one was really dark. The second one was really dark. I need to rewatch the original Batman. Okay. So the second one to me, in my opinion, even over Chris Nolan, I think the second Batman film with Penguin and Catwoman was by far the best. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. See, all of those penguins, all of those uh, bad guys in those movies were kind of freaky. Penguin's always yeah. been kind of freaky. Oh, and Christopher Walken. I mean, that that movie just nailed it. I mean, that was so good. But uh, yeah, Joel Schumacher came in and, and almost ruined the franchise. Um, I won't even watch those. That's, that's to me, that's like the, what the prequels are to you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. for me, the the Batman that that to me the best incarnation of Batman ever is not even the movies. You're talking cartoons now, '90s animated series. Um, that to me is the embodiment of who Batman really is. Yeah. And Frank Miller, which you know Tim Burton took from the new movies took from, um, but I'm really interested to. To see what Ben Affleck, I'm I'm actually a believer because it's going back to the cloth costume. And is uh, it really kind of a buff Batman? Yeah, he's going to be wearing cloth, so that's that's going to be cool, man. I didn't know that. That's um, yeah. I, I like my my Batman like Mad Max, you know, where he's kind of gritty and dirty and like angry. That's good stuff. It's all about vengeance. That's how you need Batman. That's the way Batman rolls. And and I am I am waxing lyrical on the smack talk today because uh, apparently according to Pete Twitter was ablaze because we did a very short smack talk. <laughs> it was. 
I must have gotten like, uh, I don't know. I, I can't even say how many comments I got from people who, who were just not happy with how short the smack talk was. Which, by the way, I got to say, I pulled a little Twitter stunt yesterday. Um, my uh, my daughter was born in December. And I immediately called Blue Shield and had her added to uh, to the health plan for obvious reasons. You know, don't want to pay for all those bills and whatnot. <laughs> Did you see me doing this on Twitter yesterday? No. So um, I get this bill from the doctor for like three months worth of doctor visits. And nothing's been paid by the insurance company. You know how like the insurance company, like even though you might have a deductible, there's still a bunch of money that's you know knocked off because you're a member of an insurance plan. And yeah. none of that had happened. So... I like look it up online and they show that my daughter is inactive as of like December 10th or some craziness like that. And I'm like, okay, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, why was she only on for a month? So I call up blue shield and they're like, Oh, well you only added her temporarily. I'm like, dude, that doesn't even make any sense. Like who calls up? Oh, I'd like to add my daughter temporarily. And then, you know, She's on her own after 30 days. I mean, come on. I'm not covering her medical expenses after 30 days. No, no. she just needs 30 days of medical. People are like silly to put them on every month. I mean, and I was like, this doesn't even make any. Well, you didn't add her permanently. I'm like, what do you mean I didn't add her permanently? It's the exact same thing I did when I had my son added. I called you guys up and had her added. And so they're like, oh, here, you got to fill out this form. So they send me the form. So I fill it out, send it back to them. And um, still a week later, she's not at it. So I call him up yesterday, get on the phone with him. Oh, you know, we sent you a form and we haven't received it back. I'm like, what are you talking about? You not only received it back, but then you sent me an email saying, hey, welcome to Blue Shield. Oh, uh, let me do a little bit more research. So after being on hold for like five, ten minutes, um, he comes back and disconnects me before saying a word. (laughs) And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) So then I decide I'm going to live tweet this whole experience. So the only <laughs> the only account that I got, like the password programmed in on Twitter, is the church planner account, right? So right. I get on uh, Twitter and I'm you know copying Blue Shield's Twitter address and all of it, and and I, I'm starting to get ticked. I will admit I'm starting to get ticked, and I'm like I'm going to take all three magazines that I publish, and there's going to be an article in there <laughs> about this, like if these guys don't fix this situation. And uh, called back in, finally got a hold of someone else. And uh, and this guy actually spoke English. I don't know where their call center is, but most of them don't speak great English, whatever country it's in. I, I can't tell what country it's in. Um, so either this guy was just an excellent English speaker or he was in the U.S. I honestly couldn't tell you one way or the other. Um, so he takes, I mean, it took about an hour or so for yeah. uh, for him to get everything fixed and to get my daughter added retroactively on the plan. Uh, but she is added. And interestingly enough, things really started to change while I was live tweeting because Blue Shield started reaching out to me on Twitter simultaneously going, hey, we want to help you with this problem. Click on this link right here and, and our support team will, will help you with this. And I'm like, look, I'm on the phone with someone. So, you know... I'm live tweeting this, and I'm not going to hang up the phone call that I got to talk to you guys. I mean, I already got someone working on this. Yeah, they just do that to get you off Twitter. Well, it's actually a good idea, though, to do that. 
It is. It is. I had an experience recently where a guy made a comment from Compassion International at an event I was at, and I'm and I'm talking to him, so I'm not I'm not going to trash the dude, but we're having an email conversation. But he he, you know, I tweet him, hey man, I don't think that was wise to say in front of thousands of people, and he's like, well, let's let's talk about it aside. So we we've, we've been talking about it, you know, um, something he said about adoption, but uh, but yeah, man, Twitter is. It's a weapon, man. Seriously. You want to fight back? And American Air, I've, I've tweeted them like crazy. And uh, they, they they do. They, oh, 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 let's talk. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a way. I mean, think of it. You know, it's social media. It's a way of, they're, they're on social media to promote themselves. They're and, outsourcing this stuff. And that just means that there's opportunity for new companies who want to, uh, you know, start up and be that link. We'll, we'll take care of your social media and these problems when they come up, we're going to direct, we're going to address them immediately. Well, not only that, but, but that to me of, also spells opportunity for church plants. You guys are looking well, to make money, man. Maybe this is another industry you can go into. If you're really into social media, become Absolutely. that outsourced vendor for companies. So I, it also, Pete, in all fairness, is an opportunity for extortion. Like we could start a, a social media mafia, right? Where we go on and we're like, American Airlines, Blue Shield, you need to pay your protection money to uh, to us, or we go on and we trash you on Twitter. Mm. Oh wait, wrong podcast for that, huh? <laughs> Interesting, man. Interesting. Just teasing. But hey, um, you know, the, the reality is that uh, I was listening to a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk and I, I listened to him because he was really instrumental in me getting on Facebook and Twitter to begin with because I, I, I hated social media. Couldn't I, and I, you're the same, right? Just couldn't understand why are people even on this and not being a self-promoter by nature. Um, you know, when I finally got the book deal, I was like, you know what? I, I guess I need this, you know, to, because it used to be publishers would promote your book. And so every once in a while I'll get someone going, oh, Peyton Jones, self-promoter. And, and, and what they don't realize is that publishing companies no longer promote you. Um, they don't have the budget for that. They don't have the money. That's not where they spend their money. Anymore. Well, and they also don't know how to market books. I mean, as, as ironic as that sounds. That's not what their strength is. They don't know how to market books. The days are over where they sign you and they take full responsibility. Nowadays, the way it works, they give you an advance and they tell you, you promote and market your own. You're lucky if you get an advance. It, well, and that's it. Like I was very fortunate, but, but it, you know, I, I was told very clearly, we will not market your book. You will market it. And so that, that was why I got on social media. But anyways, I, I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk and I, and I did see a crossover for church planners um, on this where he was saying, you know, cause we're preachers. I, I think the reason why most ministers and preachers are on social media is, um, you know, if you take like Paul says, you know, some out of, out of uh, envy and selfish ambition, others, you know, to promote Christ. And he goes, but, but, you know, nonetheless, God be praised. There's always going to be people doing stuff for the wrong reason. You can do ministry for the wrong reason. You can do church planning for the wrong reason. 
But social media, same thing. It can go one of two ways. But you can literally use this stuff for the kingdom, as we've talked to Brandon Cox about before. He wrote a book on it. Train. And uh, anyways, you have the conch. Go ahead. Um, but what I loved about Gary Vaynerchuk, what he said the other day, is he's talking about all these companies that he helps out, and he he was saying, look, if you're a an airline, you're in the media business first now today since this new medium has come out. He goes, you're you're basically in the in in the media business, and you run an airline. You're basically now, if you're uh, a publisher, you're in the you're in the media business, but you also publish books. And so he's kind of calling people to realize that look, it's about getting the word out um, nowadays. And I think for church planners, that's something that if you are going to, obviously, if you're doing missional community, you think, oh, I'm not attractional, so that's not true of me. That's not true. Because your people also um, can use this to, you know, for their relationships. I mean, let's face it. We pay more attention to the people we have a relationship with in social media. So this is also a tool. It's not just a way of prostituting yourself out and, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, and your friends and your family and your neighbors are on there, your coworkers, they're paying attention to you. And you can still market the gospel. You can say, oh, man, I was uh, I was at church this weekend and, you know, um, we had, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you talk about the things, you know, the peace in your life. You talk about, you know, awesome time with, you know, like my church family. And people are like, man, that's awesome. You know, it's still a way of, of connecting with those relationships. I just thought that was really interesting. No matter what you do, Gary Vaynerchuk says you're in the media business and you do this on the, you know connected to it well we've kind of talked about that a little bit before and and i would actually disagree with gary you're not in the media business you're in the marketing business well that's and that's what media is just part of it he's a social media marketer right that's 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 what he does does. so that's what his his shtick is just like i do marketing so my shtick is you're in the marketing business but you're you are you're in the promotion in fact you've had (laughs) you've had people who have been upset with you for uh, hijacking their uh, their keywords in Twitter, their hashtags, I should say, and and you were advertising to them, and to me that's just hilarious because, like, frankly, that's someone who doesn't understand social media at all or what they're doing. They just want to be cool like everybody else, and oh, look at all these other conferences. They they use hashtags. We should do it too. And then when they find out, well, you're setting yourself up for people to hijack that. That's on you. Yeah. There's a guy who runs a church planning conference. And uh, and, and, and then this isn't like, it's funny because we're not always talking about the same conferences. Um, this is a different one. I mean, we've got a couple of them that have gotten upset at us. And the the funny thing is with this one guy, I was talking with him on the phone. And yeah, he got upset. You know, he was saying, well, you did this and that. Uh, used our hashtag on Twitter. And I remember I, I laughed. Our I said, hashtag. It's ours. <laughs> yeah. And I said, do you do you understand how Twitter works? <laughs> we were doing a free book giveaway for church planners. So we were tagging your conference that all the people that like, do you understand how the whole hashtag? He didn't understand. He actually did not understand how Twitter worked. And uh, I mean, like for us, right? Like we'd be thrilled if someone hashtagged anything we did. And attach your thing to it. It'd be like, oh, thanks, man. That's cool. Cool connection, right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, 
I, I would actually recommend this to uh, to churches or ministries. If you're a, a ministry leader and you're like, gosh, you know, I'd really like to have a booth over here at this conference, but we just can't afford it. We're just a you know small little ministry. Do what we did. And uh, we've done this in the past, and we'll continue to do it in the future if they're really yeah. big on Twitter, because pastors are really big on Twitter. I mean, more so than Facebook. Twitter is like where they hang out. Yeah. And um, and we run Facebook or uh, uh, Twitter ads to that hashtag and to the people who follow that conference. And you can, I mean, with Twitter, you can zoom in on obviously the the hashtag. You can uh, target the um, Twitter handle. And uh, you can also target, you know, people who are on an Apple device or on their desktop or on an Android device. And, I mean, that's kind of cool because we did that at one conference and they wanted 2500 bucks to have a booth at this thing. And, um, and of course, when you get a booth at a conference, it doesn't mean anything, right? I mean, you're, you're one of the masses there with a booth. And... Um, it doesn't mean everyone at the conference is going to come over to your booth. Or you're going to meet them or you're going to get them into your funnel, which is what you're trying to do as a business. Uh, so we, we ran about $70 in Twitter ads and had more signups to church planner magazine that week than we'd ever had at any other time off of 70 yeah. bucks. And we just yeah. target everyone at the conference who was can, at the time it was only Apple. We target them on Apple devices. Yeah, so like, you know, we're at Easter time, and by by the time you guys have heard this, it's the day after Easter, and you're like, thanks for this information, a day late and a dollar short, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the, uh, you can do this stuff for like, let's say you're in Long Beach, right? Um, you, you hashtag Long Beach, you know, you, um, you, you mention like you find other places that, um, other interests, and, and you can run these for, People on Twitter that are looking up, you know, I love Long Beach or Long Beach City or whatever. And you're like, hey, you know, Long Beach, celebrate Easter with us. Boom, boom, boom. You know, you can do all this stuff and it gets people to look at your church. And so if you're trying to, you know, get people, you think, hey, my church is pretty cool. And, um, you know, again, I'm I'm not the guy that's like, hey, you know, my church is sexy and has awesome worship. I don't think lots of people care about that. But when people are thinking about church, this is the time of year where people are thinking about it and they're thinking it's Easter Sunday. I want to do something religious. Uh, you know, I do it Christmas Eve and I do it Easter and I want to do it now. It, this is the time to go after those guys. And that's one way for free that you can do that. I dig it, man. I dig it. So, hey, let's head into our topic. I was going to say, we probably should get into our topic because we made up for last week's No Smack with uh, plenty of O-Smack this week. <laughs> but um, before we do that, uh, Yoda, uh, you going to set us up for a little uh, little uh, sponsorship there? Oh, oh, is it me now? or, or are we Yeah, doing I, I can't get the Yoda to play right. So. Oh, man, we're losing all of our cool ones. No, just Yoda. <laughs> and it wasn't a cool one. It was just Yoda. He was actually okay. He was. You okay. thought he was? I didn't. I didn't yeah. like Yoda. Sponsored. <clears throat> Sponsored. No. <laughs> Sorry. Excuse me. <clears throat> come on, Yoda. Come on. I'm channeling Yoda with the force now. You ready? Sponsored today's Church Planner podcast is by MoGive. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's not by MoGive uh, this week. Oh, oh. Some, some. Who, who is it? <laughs> I'm kidding, dude. It's MoGive. <laughs> I almost said another brand, but 
Well, actually, I did talk to uh, to another one of our sponsors, and um, he goes, "I don't know what I should write for the the thirty second commercial that Peyton's oh. asking me for." I go, "Dude, don't, just let us ad lib it." He goes, yeah, "Yeah, let us make it up. We'll goes, do it. You guys do it. You guys do it. I don't want to do it. You do it." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, wow. yeah, no. This week's uh, this week's episode is sponsored by MoGiv, which we've talked about before. They're a, a great service to allow you to do digital payments, uh, you know, for tithing, uh, to do yeah. online text-based tithing, um, reoccurring tithing. And as, as kind of odd as this sounds, like, I mean, 10 years ago, this would have been really weird. People have been like, oh, I don't know about this, you know, online giving thing. Uh, but really, that's where kind of culture has gone. Like, I literally have written maybe five checks in the last year. It's just people don't write checks anymore. Like that's not that's not how they get. Tithing's been kind of down, Pete. Can you do something about that? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, if we had MoGive, we could no. But uh, but all right, so it, we got to write a new MoGive jingle, right? <clears throat> so we can we can either do like the cheerleader one or the military. So we can do like give me an M, M, give me an O, O, give me a G, G, give me an I, I, give me a V, V. Don't give me an E. And what's that spell? No E. Mo give. <laughs> Mo give. Yeah, go Mo give. Woo. Or we can do, I got Mo give on my side. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I don't even know where that one's going, man. Yeah, but yeah, I'm just saying, hey, look. Right. If, if you I need off. <laughs> if you need a system to be able to collect uh, ties and offerings online, text-based, do it on their phones, all that stuff. Go to mogive.com forward slash choich, and they'll take care of you. That's church if you didn't understand our choich. Choich. Well, I'd like to see him actually spell that out. (laughs) C-H-O-I-C-H. That's actually what I was thinking, choich. C-H-O-I-C-H. But it's uh, it's church, guys. But uh, Okay, so mogive, that out of the way. Um, Yeah, cool. Let's Let's hit Doc Brown. All right, here we go. A little uh, button and let me know. Little Doc Brown action. Great Scott, it's time for this week's topic. And uh, what is this week's topic, Peyton? So today's topic is church revitalization and church planting. Are they the same or are they different? There's a little bit of a debate raging about this one right now. Um, Some guys are saying, and I would say they're very wise people, are saying that church planning and church revitalization are, in fact, the same thing at different speeds, right? Um, Other guys are arguing, no, they're not. But I I saw an article this week on that, and uh, by someone I respect, by the way, uh, who had written, no, they're not, and hadn't backed it, hadn't given scripture, hadn't even given points to the argument, just had a conversation with another guy who was pretty well-known, they both disagreed that, no, it's not the same as church planning. And that was it. It was just a simple affirmation, repackaged, said a bunch of times in different ways, and posted as a blog. And so I, I got a, uh, there's a, a friend of mine who, uh, Matt Fretwell, um, over in uh, Virginia, in Richmond, doing a, a great little uh, revitalization a guy who is a a church planner at heart. And he's like, what do you think of this? And I just wrote him back. I could not disagree more. 
um, church revitalization and church planning are, in fact, very much the same thing. And what you often find is that guys that have been church planners for years end up in church revitalizations. And there's a great reason for that. Number one, um, after a number of years of guys going out there, being the adventure or whatever, um, obviously Paul just got more rock and roll the older he got. But sometimes God calls a guy to go and to put roots down. That might be due to family, might be due to, to uh, it could be a bunch of different situations. But, um, but secondly, um, sometimes guys who are, church planters or serial planters make the best senders. And I have often seen God take guys and take them from kind of like a frontier church planting position and send them into an established church um, where their job is to make that church into an Antioch uh, where they basically reform the church and the church becomes a sending powerhouse. And that is very difficult. It is very tough. It is not easy. I hear sometimes naysayers say, it can't be done, you know, easier to, to, to birth a baby than raise the dead. But, you know, they, they're both miracles. And um, a church plant's a miracle, and a church revitalization is equally a miracle. And so I argue to the, to the hilt and to the death that they're the same thing simply because I've done both for 11 years. Why don't we take a, a quick second and kind of break down uh, church revitalization? What is it? Because I don't want to assume that everybody knows that term. I only know it because you and I have talked about it in the last, I don't know, six months to a year. Uh, That's right. So some of you guys only listen to this podcast for the Star Wars talk. And uh, <laughs> I mean, you turn us off when we get to the church planning stuff. So for those of you that ventured a little further into the podcast today, um, we're actually church, church planting obviously is starting a new, uh, church in an area to reach needy people. Now, I recently did an article interview with Matt Fretwell. And if you want to check it out, just hit my Facebook page. I don't know if we tweeted it out or what, but you can check my Twitter handle. I think I tweeted it, but, um, I make the distinction that church planting is not getting a logo, getting a website and getting a building and then having a meeting. That's not church planting. It's never what Paul did. Church planning is going after lost people, targeting them, obviously. As a church planner podcast, you probably should know that by now. But church revitalization, on the other hand, is going into an established church that's existed for a number of years. Um, technically, uh, the definition of an established church is five years or more. And uh, anything past five years, it's no longer a church plant unless it is a church planning hub that operates like Refuge Long Beach, where it breaks its best people off, its leaders and its core teams constantly, then we would say that that church is constantly replanting and it adds a, a, a new dynamic to it. But anyways, past five years, you're considered an established church and a church revitalization is when a guy comes into a church, it's gotten stagnant, it's established, it's stuck in its ways, it's lost sight of the mission, and the guy goes in there and he infuses new life into it. So we get the term revitalization, vita meaning life. And uh, the guy is basically rebooting it, right? It's a, it's a revamp of the church. And I don't mean a sexy logo. It literally means that he's getting the church back on its feet from being in a defensive position to an offensive position. It's going to take new ground. 
And both of them center around taking new ground. And that's why I argue that they're the same thing, but at different speeds. Hmm. All right, cool. So why is there um why is there such a battle on this issue? I mean, well, I don't I kind of don't get it. Yeah, so uh, I I think let's put it this way. I think that church planning is a trendy topic and I think I think that uh sometimes we just run out of things to say about church planning in the church planning world. I mean, it, it, it really is as simple as I just boiled it down to. It's about going after lost people. And what happens a lot of times is guys, like we have this whole deal about being a missiologist or this guy's a missiologist or whatever. And often what that means, a lot of authors, a lot of guys, they at a certain point, they sit back and they stop doing it. And so then they pontificate about it. They start making... Um, a lot of, and, and I'm not saying that about this author. I'm just saying like, sometimes we just need things to talk about. It's not like it's a hugely important subject, except for this fact. The reason why I've taken it up is because when God calls a church planner to go up the food chain and become a sender, it's a way of empowering and sending more church planners. So for me to argue that uh, they're not it, it, it is kind of a way of, you know, God might call a church planner to leave church planting temporarily and go into church revitalization. And the guy feels like he's sold out or he's, um, oh, you know, I, I must not be as cool or as rock and roll. And nothing could be further than the truth. You're actually going into a calling that might be even harder, depending on your makeup. And we need sending churches. We need, we really do need churches that, um, have the size and power and pomp to pump out church plants. That's we've talked about Rick Warren lots of times um, that he has the ability to fund church planting uh, like a madman. And he does. And so we praise God for those guys, but I want those guys to realize that, you know, should God call you to that? You're not selling out. And I've watched guys be treated like sellouts because they left church planting or serial church planting and go into church revitalization. And uh, and then they get in that position. They still continue to think like a church planner. They revamp the church to be all about mission, and they become a powerhouse. They become an Antioch or an Ephesus or a Jerusalem, you know, which sent out loads of people in the beginning. And that's what you want to see. So I don't want to discourage that. I do think that you you bring the tools of church planting into a church revitalization, and to be honest, I can't think of, of how you would revitalize a church without understanding church planning or understanding frontline mission. Why? Um, I think the, the, the question needs to be addressed. Um, why? And I know we have opinions on this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why are churches shrinking and dying on the vine? Why do they need to be revitalized to begin with? Yeah, so... Churches end up after after a time, once they reach a certain size, they um, start focusing in a house. So as a church grows from a smaller size to a medium size, um, what often happens is a church becomes more and more insular. And the reason why is our model says that uh, as the church grows in number, what we need to do is we need, you know, obviously we've got all these people now coming. We have to take care of them. So what happens is the shepherds and teachers take over 
and everything becomes in-house. Let's let's maintain these people. Let's make them happy. Let's make sure they keep coming because the ties have been up and we love having all this money and let's focus on them. And what happens is, um, you know, the, the race to get these people became a race to keep these people. And once you become, you know, kind of like, hey, you, you go into a maintaining uh, mode, then you become insular. When you become insular, you're already shrinking. You just don't realize it because you're not growing, right? Um, the human body, as soon as the human body stops, the growing starts, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, when the growing is out, your cells are dying all the time is what I'm trying to say. And you're reproducing cells. When you're constantly reproducing cells, the body grows. But when the body slows that process, um, then what happens is the dying cells, which is happening normally, your cells are, are always at an attrition rate. Then what happens is the body begins to die and eventually run down. And churches are the same. The growing should always, the outreach should always be uh, trumping the, um, the attrition and the, uh, the inreach. The inreach should always be a smaller ratio of your focus than your outreach. So going back to Ephesians 4, that's why God has the um, apostle, evangelist, and prophet. Um, and those are three of the roles, whereas two of the roles are shepherd and teacher. And God shows that, that kind of ratio there where he's like, look, I want you to focus more on the outreach. So those first three roles have to do with outside. But when a church grows, we staff the, the, the church staff according to what can keep the Christians happy that are already coming. And so we get a youth pastor, we get a Sunday school director, we get, and I'm not saying any of these things are, are not good or important, but we don't put a guy on staff, for example, whose um, whole business is to reach lost people like an evangelist. We don't put church planners on, guys who facilitate church planting and outreach. We don't put guys on who um, go around doing uh, ministry that's very frontline, maybe the more prophetic guys. We, we don't prioritize that like the New Testament did. And so we shrink because we're in a maintaining mode. That's a very long answer to a very short question. Yeah, but you know, it's kind of an interesting uh, question, especially if, if someone hasn't really thought this through because, um, you know, one of the things you hit on was, okay, uh, you know, we'll put a Sunday school teacher on staff or a youth pastor on staff. <clears throat> Who should be put on staff first? Should it be, uh, you know, the youth pastor or should it be the evangelist? Yeah. And we've talked about, you know, the fact that, you know, statistically they got church growth experts and they're like, hey, you know, you need a you need a good teacher on staff. If the guy who, you know, is the pastor isn't very good, you got to get a good teacher. So you get a teaching pastor, you get a Sunday school director, so your Sunday school's hot and you get um, a youth group. And those three things, and then, you know, there's kind of like the, 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 the worship, you know, it's kind of like the fourth one. Um, but, but those are the four things that, that they say. And so a lot of it has to do with running the show. And the other part has to do with while you're running the show, are you keeping the kids happy? Because the kids don't like it, the parents don't want to come back. So a lot of it has to do with what goes on on Sunday. Well, again, that is, um, that may not be the priority. Um, I personally, 
have never uh, put a youth pastor on on any church plan I did. And um, like right now, we, we actually need to do outreach in um, with young people. But I wouldn't put a youth pastor on to do that. Um, I, I would, because what you're doing again is you're saying, let me create a little group and see if I can attract people to this group. I would actually get an evangelist and I would say, Hey, are you, do you have a heart for young people? There's a university right here. There's a high school here. Um, we might want to do the MMA thing. You know, there would be more of an evangelistic focus than a youth group focus. And so when you put a youth pastor on, what you're telling him to do is to, um, to go start a youth group and to go be a babysitter for all the, uh, the kids that come to the, yeah, church. and you can have a guy, a youth, a youth pastor who teaches the word or whatever, and it's life change and all that. But I, I still think that we're a bit enslaved to this model. We're not getting that. Maybe you need a guy who actually gets out of his office and isn't preparing Bible study. Maybe you need a guy who's out there with kids, reaching kids. And um, but but really, I would say an an evangelist uh, at large, not so much a youth focused guy. Because for me, um, I actually aim to make the church so good that youth, uh, that, that youth would come and just go, this is awesome. You know, I love this. I love this discussion time or I love these home groups. And that's how we've always integrated them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can say for sure in Wales, um, we had so many young people in, in our church in Wales. And, um, you know, that's just that was just nature. But we did. We started doing evangelism in, in the universities. Um, uh, just our members, just our people were just, you know, college students and youth. And they just told their friends and boom, they come to church and go, this church is awesome. So that's that's what I find is if you're going to have people lectured at, yeah, church is going to suck and youth, youth aren't going to want to come. But if church is interactive, you know, it'll it'll pop. Connect with so, them. so as you look at churches that are in that revitalization stage, what are some of the church planning principles that you would carry over to that church to help them grow again? So, yeah, so a lot of the things like what we just talked about, um, church revitalization. Often, you're coming in and you're untying the Gordian knot, right? You're you're, you're disentangling stuff. Stuff developed. Maybe a great question even before that is, how do you start? Yeah. Well, uh, again, uh, it's a great question because the first thing you need to do when you come into a church revitalization or a church plant is you got to pray. And and I know that sounds so stupid, but people don't talk about this. If I'm planning a church, I need to be connected with Jesus. I need to know what do you want to do here, Lord? And the same <laughs> church revitalization. You can come in here with purpose-driven book in your back pocket or, you know, whatever it is. And it's just not going to pop for you. That may not be what Jesus wants to do in that church. So first thing you're going to do is you're going to be seeking God. You're going to be asking, what do you want to do? Okay. Second thing is you're going to start, once you get that vision and, and mission, I have, I have a little hint it's going to involve reaching the lost. It's going to be, uh, you know, like I sat back with my, my barnacles and they, they asked to do this cage match. And we talked about 
what is the church? Who are we? We started, they want to talk about what the church was because ultimately we wanted to get to what should the church be doing? And that is a great place to start. So when we're talking about discovering the mission, you have to go into a church, a church revitalization, just like a church might and say, what's the mission? What am I, what are we supposed to be here to do? And so with my, um, my, my ministry barnacles who were with me for a couple months there, um, we started with who are we? And we talked about how identity in the Bible is very connected to calling. For example, Jesus would, would look at Peter and he would say, men call you Simon, but you're Peter, right? Like you're, you're the rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Your identity is connected to mission. Abram, you know, your father, your name means father, but I'm going to make you Abraham, father of nations. Your identity is connected to your calling, right? David was anointed at 16 because uh, his, his identity was collect, connected to his calling. And God anoints him as like this secret king. So David has a sense of calling. It's his identity connected to his calling. And so, you know, these are the things that we talked about. And the church, the same thing. If the church is wrong about who it is, and what its identity is, it'll get its mission wrong. So, for example, um, I would say in in a, in a in a big pockets of America today, you talk to the church and you say, "What's who are you?" And they say, "Well, you know, we're the uh, the bastion of righteousness and uh, morality. You know, we're we're like the last, we're like the bunker man of God's holiness in, in the world. And and because of their identity is that that they're the bastion." of decency and morality, um, then their calling they feel is to hold out and to be a voice of decency and morality. And so then we have the Christian right wing. We have churches that are endorsing uh, political candidates. We have um, this this sense of this moral majority. Well, in the and church. it's not just the right wing. I mean, that's a very big deal, especially churches in L.A. and in yeah. major metropolitan areas. Um, yeah. The Democrats are very big into getting, uh, you know, uh, endorsed from the pulpit. I mean, it's it's not just one side of the aisle. It is literally both sides of the aisle. That's it. And and so what, what happens is that the identity then beca- it, it takes over and then everybody gets really excited about like, you know, like when uh, the Mormon guy ran. The Christians were going nuts over him because he's a Republican, because yep. their mission was to hold out for, for you know, these certain principles because their identity was misplaced. They got their calling wrong. And so then they bash Obama and on and on. And so, you know, and, and we don't get political on this podcast, but I'm just making the connection, your identity and your calling. Um, it, you can, you can, you can say, well, our identity is, you know, we stand for, uh, you know, we're called to liberate the oppressed. And so then it all becomes about social justice rather than, okay. So for me, when, when I'm going to the identity, um, I would say the identity of the church is based on temple imagery. And so we're the temple and what the temple was, was the, the place where the presence of God was, um, God was everywhere throughout all the earth. He inhabited the earth. But there was a focal point where his presence could be known, felt, experienced. And, um, you know, where the, the term glory was, where God's glory was focalized and it radiated outward. And so, um, so going to Ephesians, which I think is the book 
about church identity more than any other book. Um, that's the imagery that Paul uses. They had this temple and their society. And Paul's like, hey, you guys, I know it was one of the seven wonders of the world. You're very proud of it. Greatest Diana of the Ephesians. You know, they start a riot, put Paul in jail. Um, Alexander the Great comes through Ephesus and says, hey, you guys are impressive. You know, everybody comes and conquers your city, destroys your temple, and uh, you rebuild it. How about um, I uh, rebuild your temple? And they go, uh, excuse us, Alexander the, the Great. Um, we're the Ephesians. We'll build our own temple. Thank you. And so their identity was wrapped up in this temple. That's why the gospel was a threat to uh, the temple of Diana. That's why they rioted. And Paul gives them their identity as you guys, as the church, are the housing of glory of God, not some building. You know, just like the Jews, our identity was the building of the temple. And so Stephen goes after that and says, look, your identity really is in God dwelling in your midst, not in a temple made with human hands. God always wanted to dwell in your midst. And, and so this, this idea of the Holy Spirit being in the church. So, so what, what I see our mission as is to bring the presence of God into places uh, where he's not known, his presence is not known and experienced. So I can do that in my workplace. I can do that wherever I go. And so if I were going into a church revitalization, just like a church plant, I would be communicating this same theology, um, this same idea. I would want them to see this is what this church is here for. This, therefore, is what we're called to do. And everything that we were to do on mission would come out of that identity. Does that make sense? It does. And I think one of the things that... um if you're at a church that you're doing revitalization for, um, I think you have to be willing to let the church shrink even more. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Just like a core team. It's funny you're saying that because you and I both know I shrink core teams down. They're kind of they, they grow kind of big, kind of quick. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that you shrink them down. You let them shrink themselves down. Like you're not <laughs> yeah. kicking people out of the core team. You just no. go into it knowing. They're not going to still be there at the end. Yeah, exactly. And I'm a little more provocative probably than I need to be, but I'm provocative on purpose. I'm literally provocative because I, I, I'm actually trying to hasten the shrinking a little bit, but like you said, without kicking people out. But I'm being clear about the mission and, and the vision. And then, and then the, the next point is what you do when you go into a church revitalization, the same as a church plant. You look at leadership. So Church Zero cha-ching, is, is a book about mission. It's a book about reformation. It's a book about church planning. But it's really, it's about leadership. Because if your leadership is wrong in a church revitalization, and same with a core team, then you, you're going to be way far off base, right? Um, so uh, that, that's another thing you look at equally in those. Um, you might come in and you might need to do restaffing like we were talking about earlier, but, but more importantly, um, because now you've got your mission, you're now saying right now I need to look at staffing because the staffing may not be lining up with the mission. The staffing may have developed over time when the church lost its mission. And so now we've got this big mess. And so with church planning, you don't have a lot of funds. You don't have a lot of time to waste. So again, leadership. Um, who's in leadership, Who who's doing what, all that's really important. So you look at those. 
the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, because um, you remember when we were watching the overnighters, remember that scene when uh, Jay was standing in front of the uh, the board that had all the photos of the families? And he goes, that yes. family's not here anymore. That family's not here anymore. That family's not here anymore. And um, one of the things that we've talked a lot about on the podcast is the importance of your church DNA and how you infuse that DNA. And so when you're going to a revitalization scenario, you're changing the DNA that everyone is used to. And, um, and that's why people are going to leave and you've kind of got to be okay with that. Um, hopefully you don't take it all the way down to where it, it totally explodes. So I don't, I don't really know how you do that. I mean, it's got to be a process of well, <laughs> what, what we would call reindoctrination of, look, this is what the mission is. This is what the mission is. This is what the mission is. And yes. getting people excited about that. Yes. And so it's not, I, I don't know that it's necessarily like on a dime that you, you know, you turn the whole thing, but it's, no. it's a, a reindoctrination of what the mission it is. is. And so what happens is when the, when the church shrinks down to a certain size, you basically have what we call a replant on your hands. Right. And it may not get down super small. I think it's important to take the people with you. I often think when I look at a church revitalization, I mean, there are people, church planners out there like, Oh, just ditch our butts, man. I, you know, I can't, the shepherd. Yeah. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't I think you should just ditch them. No, because this is a church, man. This, What's the difference between an established church and your church plant? Time. Time. Really? So because the church has been there longer, you're going to ditch it and you're going to ditch those precious people? I, like I said, I spent the first 11 years of my ministry in established churches. I've been in almost every imaginable church under the sun. And during, during that time, um, I've met precious on-fire people that, you know, when we planted out of Louis Jones's church, we took the best out of that church. Not uh, everybody. I mean, there were some people that stayed behind that, that were, but I mean, it wasn't like we took all the rejects. We took some of the best leaders out of there and the best Christians out of there. You know, and when I say best Christians, I just mean the best representation of Jesus I could imagine. And they went down to the next uh, town we planted and uh, it, it, it was powerful. And so I, I would say that um, those people that stayed behind were just as precious. And they they also had a calling and a job to do. Number one, they were sending. Um, and it, it actually ended up being a smaller uh, group of people that stayed behind and a larger group that went and planted. And what what I would say is this. There were more people sitting there excited about mission and when the church plant came and i had been there as a part of the revitalization to get us up to that point um the uh the church plant was healthy the the this the church that stayed uh lloyd jones's church it it also too was healthy um i would say that to a certain degree the sinning church did suffer from losing so many people but built it up again over time and guess what they had to do they had to get on mission. <laughs> they did. They started reaching down and outs. But my my point is that when you've got an established church, it's like turning uh, a boat around in the water. Uh, when you have a larger group of people that are older um, or more established or set in their ways, like you said, Pete, 
then it's like turning a tanker around, right? You do the same thing, but you turn them around more slowly, right? It, it takes a longer time to turn a tanker around. And so the thing that makes your church different from, uh, uh, you know, an established church from a, a church plan is time. Um, but the, the, the way that you, you do each of those ministries is speed. So you're looking at turning a, a church plant. You still have a core team. They've come from established churches. And guess what? You got to turn them around too during your core team uh, phase. But and, and a lot of people don't realize this. You're actually turning them around. Um, they're coming with baggage from their church, and they need to to be regaged in in detox and retrained and rediscipled. Um, sometimes you got to undisciple them from the stuff that they've learned, and then you turn them around. It's like turning a speedboat around. You can go a lot faster. It might take a few months, a few meetings to turn them around. Oh yeah, and boom, you know. So that's what you're looking at. Because it, the size of the ship that's getting turned around is smaller, and so it can go faster. But then the other thing is, it's a lot easier, and this is one of the keys to church planting and church revitalization, is the atmosphere. It's much easier to change the atmosphere of a small group than it is a Sunday morning congregation. And it, it, it's just, if you come to my small group, um, you're going to change more rapidly too. And that's why we encourage small groups. Um, that's where we set the DNA of the church. That's where we change the atmosphere. And in both cases, both in a church revitalization and a church plant, you're trying to change the atmosphere of the meeting. You might walk into a church that hasn't had good leadership for years, that needs revitalization, and suddenly you you walk into this wall of judgment or um, legalism or you know a lack of community. And you're automatically thinking, I got to change this. Well, the same with the church planning core team. First thing you're thinking is, I need to lay the foundation of grace, the gospel. That has, and so in both cases, what else would you lay down? I mean, what, what else would you be trying to, to, to train people at, um, other than the gospel? So again, I'm, I'm hurrying up here because we're at the end, but I'm, I'm laying out my case that they're the same thing at different speeds. I mean, the goal is the same, right? Isn't the goal for Christ Church the same? And, and people say, well, what is that goal? Well, it goes back to our identity. Our identity is we're the temple. Um, collectively, the Spirit of God dwells in us and shines out His glory from our midst. So what's my mission? To glorify God in this community. So uh, what's the goal? <laughs> Christ be known and radiate outward from this place into this community. I mean, simple, right? Shouldn't that be the goal of every church? I would think so. <laughs> church plan or church revitalization? Shoot, Pete, I could write a book on this. There you go. Cha-ching. And then you could have another publisher come along and say, well, we don't market it for you. <laughs> That's right. So, hey, man, what, um, what, uh, any, any final thoughts on that? Because I started talking faster. No, I, I get it. I, I get it. I just, um, I don't envy the job. If you're taking over a church or been asked to be a pastor of a church and you're facing a revitalization, um, I don't envy it because, uh, it's, it's going to be a tough battle. And, and when you go to change the DNA that's already in place, it's just, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. 
I, there's no other word for it. It's going to be tough. It people aren't going to like it. You're going to lose people. It scares the crap out of me that God might call me to do this one day again. Um, I hate it. And all I know is when, when he calls you to it, he'll give you this incredible love for the people you need to do it with. And you, if you're a church planner, you're like, no, Jesus, don't. It was like when I used to, to ask God not to make me marry a woman that I wasn't attracted to for some weird reason when I got saved. That was weird stuff going around in the 80s. People are like, well, God could call you to, <laughs> yeah, I guess. God could call me to do a bunch of weird things, but God's not weird, so I don't think he's going to. But um, I used to say, God, please don't make me marry a woman I'm not attracted to. And please don't... Uh, uh, make me become a missionary. Those are my two things. See, and you know, course, it's it's funny you should say that because growing up, I was like hammered over the head with two primary thoughts when you talk to God. One <laughs> was that whatever you ask God not to do, he was going to make you do. And two was like, um, if you weren't very specific in what you asked for, God was more like a lawyer and he was going to find like wiggle room out of what you asked. Oh, you said you wanted to to marry that girl. Well, I didn't tell you when. Okay, it's going to be 50 years from now. I mean, and it was like, like I had a really perverted view, you know. But we did. We thought thought God was like the playground bully who would be like, hmm, if I spit on the ground, will you lick it up, (laughs) you know? Um, If I chew this cookie up and spit it on the ground, will you eat it, you know, like, like there was all these things like God, um, you know, we always thought God was going to like ask us to do perverse things because he just had this perverted delight in making us miserable. Oh, you and, don't want to be a missionary, Peyton? Yeah. I'm going to oh, make you a missionary. Yeah. Oh, would you do this for me? How much do you love me? Let's see if you'll do this for me. And and it just, you know, it wasn't how God was. But all that to say, all I know is that God is is awesome. When when you come to that point, just like church planning, just like when you came to church planning, God will lead you by the hand and he'll show you why. And he'll give you that calling and burden for it. He's not going to force you with a, you know, like a shotgun wedding, you know, you will marry this church. Um, he will start breaking your heart for it. Um, that's what he does. But anyways, all that to say, um, guys, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're hearing this argument, consider what I say, because you may be the guy or girl that God calls to go in to help lead a church that desperately needs to be a sending church. And so I'm, I'm just throwing down the gauntlet. I feel like uh, Robin Williams in uh, Dead Poet Society, you know, rip it out. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Take that John J. Pritchard, you know, uh, you know, when he has him rip out the introduction to that book, you know, their poetry book on the first day. Rip that stuff out, man. Don't listen to it. There's good guys saying it. There are people I respect. But um, until they uh, lay down the points and tell you why um, or, 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 or clarify it, I've given points. I've told you why they're similar. I think you'd be hard-pressed to really uh, differentiate other than the fact that you got to go slower and there's a lot more landmines with the bigger group. Um, but, hey, you know, it's the difference between a tanker and a speedboat but they're both going to the same place. You know, they're both trying to get to the same harbor. But uh, anyways, hey, thanks for joining us today on the Church Planner Podcast, wasting your time with an argument you never thought about, (laughs) but hopefully you will one day. And uh, this has been us reminding you, if you want to reach ones no one's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. 
Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music